nobody actually expects us to have all the answers. And when we start asking questions and being vulnerable by admitting we don't know the answer, that's how we get the answer. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the FAS Evolution podcast hosted by Growth Lab Finance as a Service. This podcast is focused on how finance as a service is transforming the accounting industry. So join us as we interview thought leaders in the industry to ultimately help accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, and CFOs move from a transactional mindset to a FAS model. Today, I've got Blake Oliver. He's the founder and CEO of Earmark. I met him like a year and a half ago, and he's actually now a consultant at Growth Lab FAS. Blake was one of the first in the industry to actually embrace cloud accounting and specifically the Zero platform. Blake and I discuss how cloud accounting has impacted the world of FAS and how we think finance as a service will continue to grow in the future and change the accounting industry. So please listen today to hear about how Blake's interesting journey is changing the industry. Hey, Blake, how are you? Hey, Dan, doing great. You know, this is, uh, this is quite the pleasure. I get to interview the interviewer. That's right. It's, a, it's nice not having to do any of my usual tasks. I just get to show up and have a great conversation with you. I look back, I think it's been about a year and a half that I first met you. I, you were with, still with uh, Giraffe at the time. And uh, I feel like I have been recorded so many times by you, <laughs> which is great. I enjoy yeah. it. I enjoy your uh, your company. I enjoy how you look at things, especially around the industry. Welcome to this episode of the FAS Evolution, and that's finance as a service. The theme here is transforming the accounting industry. This podcast was something that came up a few months ago, and one of the things we enjoy doing here, Blake, is talking to thought leaders in the industry like yourself for a guy who did not come from public accounting, obviously not a CPA. I kind of dig this industry and I don't think I'm the only one, right? But I dig it from a, a, a total different perspective. There, I love it when there's potential for disruption. And I also totally dig your cloud accounting podcast. Oh, so, thank you. So Blake, before we uh, jump into it, how did that all start with you and Dave? David Leary, my co-host, and I met at Expensicon in Maui. Oh, I, believe... I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so, so Expensify, the expense management company that just went public not too long ago, they are a little unusual. And for two years in a row, they decided to spend their entire marketing budget bringing 100 people out to some destination for a private invite-only conference. And David Leary and I were fortunate enough to be invited one year when they went to Maui. It was all expenses paid. They flew us out. We went to a conference that lasted like half a day. It basically consisted of a presentation by David Barrett, the founder, and then a couple of breakout sessions. And then we were free just to enjoy several days in Maui at this five-star resort. It was incredible. That's where David and I met. And we played around with the idea of David basically said, hey, we should do a podcast. And I said, oh, yeah, that's great. And then eventually I started one, like years later. And uh, David was my, I don't know, fifth guest. And after that, 
the chemistry was so good. He just emailed me and was like, Blake, let's just do it. You and me every time. And I said, great. I don't have to go find guests anymore. I just get on with my friend David and we talk about accounting and technology. And that's what the show's about. Accounting, technology, cloud accounting podcast. And it's great. I talk to one of my best friends every Saturday morning. That's amazing. I know, right? And like, you've had like some pretty top guests, CEOs of large divisions of publicly traded companies. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, but just, you're out just, there. We were just invited to both the Sage Transform conferences and the Oracle NetSuite conferences as media. And we interviewed Evan Goldberg, who is in charge of NetSuite, founder of NetSuite, now the EVP at Oracle of NetSuite. And we interviewed Aaron Harris, who is the CTO at Sage Global, uh, one of the founders of Intact. And it's just, it's so fun to get to play in the space and talk to these really, really, really smart and innovative people. And, you know, I never would have imagined it. You know, I started out as a, a musician, so I have a bit of a unique background as well. Eventually did get my CPA though. It does intrigue me when people find the inner energy to be vulnerable, to very much be transparent. I feel like even the recordings and the webinars I've done with you, even though I was on the other side, you were vulnerable, you were transparent. That added to the color of, of the conversation, the fluidness. But that first podcast, that first webinar, that first video, that was nerve wracking. Like <laughs> that was scary. I had, uh, at least I'll start with my experience. Sure, sure. It was about two years ago. And one of my younger team members, he said, you know, Dan, you have a way with customers. You have a way of making people comfortable. You need to be more like Gary V, man. And I was like, are you out of your mind? First of all, who, who the hell is Gary V? <laughs> that was the second thing. And the third thing was, you really want me to be out there? <laughs> what was that like for you the first time? Well, I, I have the benefit of having had a career in music. So starting at the age of 10, when I picked up the cello, I was on stage. So I... I've been nervous many, many times performing. And I always tell people that when I studied music in college and I gave recitals, I had to memorize an hour of music and perform by myself on stage. Well, I had accompaniment, but I was I was up there responsible for all of this and I prepared for months. I had to memorize that stuff. Now I get to get up and talk. I have I can take notes, I have slides. The technology helps too, right now? Exactly. You know, I can edit what I say in a podcast, which is you can't do uh, in a concert. The, the key is you just got to do it. The more you do it, the less nervous you'll get. But also you'll never not be nervous because the, the adrenaline is what makes things interesting. And otherwise people get bored. So you just have to embrace that. I, I feel like it's similar to being an entrepreneur where everything is always chaotic and it's never not going to be. So you just have to accept that when you're building a business, things are going to be breaking all the time. You're going to be putting them back together. Embrace the chaos. If you don't want that, then that's a corporate job is you know better for you. Uh, right. If you prefer the consistency and the stability and all that. So authenticity is what people crave in this world. And so I've just made it my goal to try and be as real as possible. I have something to say actually about the accounting profession on that front, which is in accounting, we often feel like we have to have all the answers. So that, that makes it hard to be authentic because most of the time we don't know the answers, right? Like, And so 
I, I, I like being a podcast host because I get to ask questions. And so mm-hmm. I turn my ignorance into my advantage. Yeah. And I feel like we can all do that more in life because nobody actually expects us to have all the answers. And when we start asking questions and being vulnerable by admitting we don't know the answer, that's how we get the answer. I agree. I, I feel like I look back, especially in undergrad and grad school, I was always the student who had a difficult time getting up on stage. But once I entered into corporate America, once I had that first job, as a matter of fact, my first job, even as a a finance student was international sales. So inherently Mm. in sales, you, you are kind of vulnerable, right? Never mind vulnerable because you're accountable to your, to your management team, your company, but you're also accountable to your customers and follow through and whatnot. And you have to be very comfortable to, you know, thinking quick on your feet, being solution-based selling, right? And that transitioned into more of a larger corporate environment where I had to be in front of professionals that could call you out. And I felt comfortable there. And even as I entered into my entrepreneurial journey, I remember the first big conference I did, it was, I was talking about business modeling and it was to an auditorium here at the the Rhode Island School of Design. I think there must've been 150 people there. Maybe I'm lying. Maybe there was a hundred. I don't know. It just felt like there was a thousand people there and I was very comfortable, but I got to tell you the first time I did the video, the first time I did the podcast, I was like, holy shit, there could actually be a whole lot more people that are going to see that. And that was very Mm -hmm. nerve wracking, Um, but I, I enjoy that. (laughs) <laughs> so Blake, the founder and CEO of a new company called Earmark. That's right. It allows accountants to earn CPE credits wherever and wherever they want. He was also one of the first in the industry to embrace cloud accounting and specifically jumping onto the Zero platform when they first came to the US. I was in the right place at the right time. I had decided to go back to school to get my CPA. I was freelancing as a bookkeeper. Somebody from Zero reached out to me, one of their uh, sales reps, and convinced me to come down to Orange County for a certification. And I said, well, you know, I, I got time. Why not? Give me They gave me a discount. And I did that, and I realized the potential of cloud-based accounting software to automate 80% of the job of the bookkeeper that I had been doing, which was, at the time, entering transactions into QuickBooks Desktop from paper bank statements. And you're like, I enjoyed the work. Long. Yeah. And it was great. I enjoyed the work because I could put on my headphones. I could listen to my symphonies and operas and whatever. And I'd do the data entry and I'd get paid a decent, decent money for it. Nothing amazing, but it paid the bills. And when I discovered zero, I realized now I can import a CSV file of transactions from the bank. I can do years of cleanup work with rules. I can code the transactions with rules instead of one by one. I can do all this work in, in, hours instead of days. And that's when it clicked for me, okay, there's a business model here. Right. We can do it over the internet. People can work at home. We can do bookkeeping. This is normal now. This is expected now. That was a relatively new concept at the time here in the US. So so why did it take a musician to get there? <laughs> I think it's because traditional accounting firms just don't innovate very much. So that's who I was disrupting. I was taking the bookkeeping work. They really didn't want it anyway. And there were a lot of people looking for help. So it was either at, your, at the time you, you could hire a freelance bookkeeper who would do things old school and charge you hourly, or you could hire an accounting firm, which would do things old school and charge you hourly. And they both weren't good because the freelance bookkeeper was unreliable 
and the accounting firm didn't really want the work and would charge you 90 bucks an hour to do it. How does a cello player go from playing the cello to being one of the 40 under 40 in the well, accounting profession? We're not even talking no. the mu musician profession. I, I know, right? So I started, well, I started the, the business. It was called Cloud Sourced Accounting. And we grew really rapidly because we were one of the only zero partners. I was the second bookkeeper to get certified on zero in the US. So I was on their directory. People were looking for help. I think zero at the time only had 10,000 customers, but hmm. 10,000 customers looking at two different bookkeepers, right? It's a lot of leads. So I just built the business with that as the foundation. And uh, we just, we grew really rapidly and it was a success story. I sold the business in five years to a CPA firm, made a good amount of money and um, set off to, you know, kind of do some other stuff. Have you so, ever wondered what happened to the old business that's now consumed by the larger business? Oh, the, some of the key employees are still there. And that, so the, the CPA firm that bought mine was called HPC. They got acquired by Aprio <laughs> and they are now the cloud bookkeeping division of Aprio, which is a top 50 accounting firm. So Wow. By the transitive property of accounting firm mergers, you know, I'm a former partner in a top 50 accounting firm. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that totally flies, but some people will let me get away with that. I mean, you know, that, that business still exists and it's still there and it's being innovative in Atlanta uh, with Aprio, although it is cloud-based, so it's everywhere. But yeah, a lot of the big firms are now getting into this and I'm proud to have been a small part of that, making that happen for a big firm. Yeah. We're going to talk about a few questions we have here around the dynamics of the industry. But I'm curious, would you do this again? I personally would not start another cloud bookkeeping firm. I think there's a ton of potential in it and people are doing it and doing it in really innovative ways. I've had the opportunity to go and, and do it again, but I get bored really easily. So that's why I'm trying this podcasting CPE thing. That's my new business earmark, earmarkcpe.com is a podcast player that satisfies NASBA's requirements for continuing professional education. So if you're a CPA or a certified management accountant or an enrolled agent, you have a requirement to get a certain amount of continuing professional education credits every year. This way you can do it on your mobile phone, listening to podcasts. So that's what I'm building right now, trying to scale that. I've got three team members at the moment doing part-time work and yeah, I can see that right. growing into a similar thing. Like I want to have like a dozen people making this thing happen and have hundreds of hours of credits on this mobile app and we're all virtual. That's great. You know, so and what kind of revenue model or business model do you ultimately see with Earmark? So the one I'm going with right now is freemium where everyone can download the app and take one hour of free CPE every week, which if you do that, you can get enough to satisfy your 40-hour requirement if you're a certified public accountant. Hmm. So you could theoretically for free, you know, get all the CPE you need. There will be a subscription offering for premium content and if you want to take more than one hour a week, which we know happens because people get behind on their CPE right. and they have to get 10, 20, sometimes 40 hours all in a week. Mm -hmm. uh, so those folks will then subscribe to get unlimited access. Um, I'm also exploring the ability for authors on the platform to create paid courses. That's so, great. Yeah. Like Dan, if you wanted to create a course and sell it, you could have a channel like you would on YouTube, for instance, sell that. And there would be Smart. a revenue split, you know, Google takes its 
piece or Apple takes their piece, your mark takes its piece and you get the rest. And what so, about through uh, corporate partners like the PWCs, large top 100 accounting firms, you know, if they yeah, want and, a more homogeneous, cohesive approach to CPE credits for or trainings for their employees? Well, and that's that's where you can get lots of users really quickly, right. create, you know, down the road, I'd love to create some sort of dashboard for a firm. And if mm -hmm. they subscribe as a firm for access to all their employees, they pay a per employee fee. They can see how they're doing on their CPE throughout the year and track it and manage it for them, which is what most of the big firms do. That would be down the road. You know, I'm 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 focused mainly on the small CPA firms at this point that don't really need that. It's just, you know, one to three CPAs. Mm -hmm. And and they're gonna subscribe probably individually, maybe have the firm pay for it, obviously. But you know, the what is the alternative right now? It's people are going on CPA Academy. They're going on my CPE for these free webinars, but because you have to attend live, you tend to pick what you want to study based on what's convenient, not right. based on what you actually need to know. I want to flip that around and say, pick what you need to know, what you're interested in, and then earn at your convenience. So driving the car, listen to an episode, working out, taking a hike, doing the dishes, whatever. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate you joining the FAS Evolution. Part of our episode is I have four standard questions. And, you know, I thought you would be a great guest, especially around how you think you are, I would say, one of the top five, top 10 evangelizers of transformation in the accounting industry. And so I'm curious with your background where you've been and where you're headed, if there was one piece of advice you would give your younger self, what would it be? Uh, buy Bitcoin. And yes, then uh, after that, that, I would totally buy that. <laughs> I think the interview ends here, man. Yeah. No, if I bought it when I heard about it in large quantities, I would be uh, fabulously wealthy. Of course, money isn't everything. And, and you know, probably lots of us could have said that. I, I, I think what I would, but like really though, seriously, what I would tell myself is don't doubt yourself as much. So when I started my cloud bookkeeping firm, I took on a partner who ended up not being the right partner because I felt like I needed somebody experienced. Yeah. And I didn't want to take the risk with money. So he was the older gray-haired money guy. Ended up not pulling his weight, not being being the one of the reasons that I wanted to sell the firm. And it was because I doubted myself and my ability. And it go, I guess it goes back to this idea that really nobody knows what they're doing. I mean, people know some, there, there are people who have wisdom and know things, but in the big Do scheme of things, really know? yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can know. And the, and the, 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 the scope of what you don't know is infinite. I think I would have said just, even though you don't have a background in business, you don't have an MBA, you don't have your brand new CPA, you've never made a business before have confidence in yourself. Right. And yeah, take risks. You know, like, uh, everyone likes to criticize Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing that he deserves a lot of credit for. He did not doubt himself. And so when all these people tried to take control of Facebook away from him, he held on to it for dear life. And that's why he <laughs> controls it to this day. So I want to have that kind of confidence. It's funny because I find myself on the flip side where, like you, I sometimes feel, can I do this? I question myself. But 
what helps me is give the people around me the confidence mm-hmm. to take that leap of faith. I mean, let's face it, even hiring an employee, and I have my fingerprints in on still all of the employees we hire, giving them the confidence that this is the right job, this is the right career path, here are the alternatives, and giving them the confidence that, hey, we're just not going to throw you to the wolves. Oh, yeah, I'm going to stretch you. Trust me. I'm going to stretch you, but you're not going to choke, right? Yeah. That to me is, uh, I look back at my career, I I agree with you, like always self-doubt, right? Isn't that like? Yep. Self-doubt is what kills us, right? That's what what stops us us from from being all that we can be. And, And again, it goes back to being uncomfortable or this feeling of being anxious when you are on a podcast or trying something new. You just have to accept that that you're going to be uncomfortable. So accept, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And if I'd learned that earlier, I think I would have been, in, in business anyway, I, I would have been more successful. Do you think sometimes we are uncomfortable because of the lack of support or the negative energy or the self-doubters around us? I mean, let's face oh, yeah. it, if you come from you know certain backgrounds, family, culture, corporate America, right? Making that leap into entrepreneurship is kind of like, well, what are you doing? You're leaving a six-figure job to like, you're lucky if you get a paycheck? Yeah, that is really hard when you have to deal with that. And and most people are going to be doubters, right? That's why very few people are entrepreneurs. So you kind of just got to ignore them. I mean, even CPAs, accountants who leave the big firms behind to do what you did, to do what I'm doing, that takes a lot of confidence. Oh yeah, T- a ton, right? Especially, especially if you got a family to feed, like like, or you got debt to pay off. That is really hard, uh, and I get it. Like like, that's yeah. you know mortgage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I guess that's why I try to always live within my means too, and that way I can take risks, and the risks I take then are less devastating if they fail. So. Like I don't, I live in a house where we could afford it on one salary. My wife and I both work. So it's great. It gives us so much comfort knowing that if one of us lost our job, it's not even that we're going to be living out of our savings for a while. Like we could just go on. I highly recommend it. It is life changing to have that kind of security. I mean, and this is, that's what it means to be wealthy in my opinion, right? It's is, freedom. It's, yeah. It's not how much money you have. It's just having the, the flexibility, the freedom Agreed. to do, to do what you want. Yeah. So the next question may be a little unfair for you because you just started Earmark, but let's put Earmark aside for just a second. So if you were to start a new company, DeNovo, today, one, what would it be? And would you really be sticking with the accounting industry? So I said I wouldn't start a a cloud-based bookkeeping company or accounting services business. That's because I, I, I want to try something different, but like it would be so easy to do again. And I highly, I, I think it's a great business and there's so much demand, so, such a talent shortage. Corporations can't buy, can't buy their in-house team anymore. They can't find people to do it. So outsourcing is becoming huge. Yeah, it's great. It's a great opportunity. I love that. that uh, I love the business model. It worked for me. I mean, I was a guy who had no experience, no business starting a business like that. And I was able to successfully grow it and sell it. If you've got some experience, you're going to be even more successful, I think. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. 
I find that in this business, you get to go deep with your customers and you get to go really wide, right? So you're not the business coach who's just dealing with the CEO, or you're not just jumping in to do a once a year audit or tax, right? You get to build relationships across the entire management team and sometimes across multiple functions. And you get to go really deep because you're touching multiple parts of the business, accounting, finance, business strategy, HR, marketing. In our business, for example, where we do provide more than just the finance as a service, where we are starting to work on the marketing and on the HR with our customers, we're going deeper into the business and having more touch points. It's fulfilling. The one thing I would add is uh, it can't be transactional. It's got to be a subscription-based model. That is the way to go. And um, so a subscription-based accounting services or finance services or whatever you want to call it model, it's a winner. It is. And someone really very intelligent once told me one of the most non-value added functions in any business is accounts receivables and collections. There is no value to your customer. Like your your customer doesn't care about that function in the business. Mm-hmm. Your customer appreciates a lot of other functions and, and uh, value streams that a company has, but collections adds no value to the customer. And so if you can erase, eliminate that friction, now we're sort of lucky right now because let's face it, over the last 30 years, we've been in a low interest rate environment. So cost mm-hmm. of capital and financing hasn't been such an issue. We've been somewhat capital lazy, if you will, that subscription models work, right? What's the difference between you pulling the money on the first of the month or me having to cut you a check 30 days later after you invoice me? But I agree with you. It's got to be a subscription-based model. It just eliminates the difficult conversations you need to have with customers, especially when you're a sole entrepreneur or you're uh, a small practice, for example, with 10 folks where you are you actually have to deal with the, uh, the corporate functions with your customers, right? Now, if you don't want to start a services business, software is great. This is just based on my experience over the last few years working in software. Look at Microsoft Excel and look at what people are using Excel for. And then find something they are using Excel for that hasn't been solved yet in B2B software and build that. Just replacing Microsoft Excel is an entire industry of apps. And you just have to take that one painful thing. And it used to be expense reports. That's a great example. We're talking about Expensify, right? People used to do it in Excel and and print those out and staple the receipts. Just automate that and you can be a billion dollar company if you find the right right pain point. Blake, here at Growth Lab, you know, we're... We didn't start as CPAs or accountants, but we always felt either like, you know, we were a little underappreciated. I never understood how the CPA, so I kind of look at the accounting industry as like a profit pool. And if you take the profit pool and you stack it on a compound bar chart, for example, and you start dividing all of the value streams, all of the functions, aka people, you start realizing how undistributed, unequitable, right? The distribution is of those, of the entire profit pool. Mm. And you have, and again, kind of coming into this with sort of de novo for me, you had the payroll company at the bottom, taking a little 2% sliver, maybe bookkeeping, taking 5% sliver and so on and so forth. And, and here's sort of sat the, the tax person, the CPA, And that individual or that function would take the majority of the profit pool available for the accounting finance function. I I think at that point is when we sort of realized like 
there's something wrong here. I didn't personally think eight years ago, this is where I was headed. I was looking at it more from, oh, wouldn't it be really nice to just kind of have bookkeeping, accounting, finance, and business strategy all under one umbrella? So that's kind of how I looked at it. And then I began mm -hmm. to realize, hey, there's a little bit of like, there's something screwed up here. And so I'm curious, Blake, you know, what's one thing about the accounting industry? And I know you probably have like 10 things. What's one thing that you think really needs to be addressed, needs to be changed in the next 24 months, 36 months? Well, the big problem is that we aren't preparing accounting students, accounting majors to be accountants the way they need to be accountants these days, which includes technology, includes processes, includes a lot of stuff that we don't teach. I think the, the education is just way too theoretical. At least it wasn't my experience. I mm -hmm. was fortunate because I was working as I was learning. So I could take the theoretical stuff and apply it. But if I wasn't, I mean, I don't know how I would know how to do anything. And this is the problem. People come out of programs. They've never done a tax return. They have no clue how to even use tax software. They've, they've never participated in an audit of any kind. They just know the theory. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, like, I, uh, I never went into audit. I never did an audit. And I got a 96 on the audit section of the CPA exam because I studied very, very hard. It was the first one. I really wanted to get a good score on it. Realized I overstudied at that point. <laughs> so, you know, with a 96 on audit, I should know how to do an audit. You would think, right? I couldn't tell you the first thing about how to do an audit. It's painful. Right? So that to me indicates there's something wrong with the way we're teaching it. Accounting used to be a very practical uh, trade. It used to be a trade. And back in the 1500s, when double entry accounting was invented, mm -hmm. you would apprentice with a bookkeeper or an accountant, and they would teach you how to do double entry accounting. You'd learn how to do all the entries. You'd learn how to do the ledgers, all this stuff. Now we don't do that anymore. We've gone completely the opposite direction because we think, oh, as a profession, it needs to be academic. And we've allowed the PhDs in accounting to dictate what the education should be. And for them, oh, it's of course, it's you know academic. It's theoretical. And when you say PhDs, and, you're referring to FASB? Well, yeah, I guess. Well, so you know, I also have problems with the accounting regs as they stand. Like GAP is not keeping up with the times. There's this whole thing about... 90% of S&P value, S&P 500 value is driven by intangible assets, but Gap doesn't know how to value intangible assets properly. Right. So like any company that is primarily driven by intangibles is is misrepresented. It's there. hard to capture that on the yeah. on paper, right? And there's there's studies that show that, you know, investor decision making is only driven 7 to 8% by Gap financials these days. Oh, because 100%. Of that, right? Like I, when I make investments, I don't look at the financial statements. If it's a tech company, you look at how many subscribers do they have? What's their subscriber growth? And right. that's not something that they even have to report, which is crazy. Because you're looking at their peers, relative yeah. value, right? Yeah. What's the lifetime value of a customer? That's not a gap metric. You know, what is, what wow. is their cost to acquire a customer? That's not a gap metric. There's no standard for this. I mean, there are standards that we've developed, but it, in the reporting there isn't. And like if you're a subscription business, why don't we? Why doesn't FASB standardize this stuff for subscription-based businesses? Start standardizing create, some of the KPIs, right? Yeah, like, and then all the we could actually compare these companies. Yeah, but we can't, and so that's the problem. So it's it's two things: it's we're not preparing accountants for what the job really is because it's gotten too theoretical, and then our accounting standards have 
not kept up with the growth of intangible assets. And so it's distorted all of the subscription-based businesses, all of the knowledge economy businesses. Their their earnings numbers are useless most of the time. And in, in terms of the people side, talk a lot about the great resignation, job hoppers. That's like the new thing now. You know, what is it? Schools, academic? Is it the industry overall? Like, at, at what point does this all sort of come back to some sort of equilibrium? Is this industry just fundamentally changed forever? Well, I think that we've had declining numbers of accounting grads, like specifically talking about accounting. They're not getting the skills they need. So they graduate and they don't have skills. So firms don't want to hire them. Well, firms want to hire them, but they don't want to pay them well because the firms know we're going to have to invest in you to train you. So that's why accounting salaries have not kept up. If I'm a student and I could go major in finance or I could go major in engineering or some computer science and I could make a lot more money coming out and spend a lot less time yeah. doing exams and getting licensed and all this stuff, why wouldn't I do that? So that's the problem. We're, not, we're just not competitive with the market. And so we're not getting the top talent. And then the other, thing, the other thing that sucks is the culture inside of accounting firms, which I think is uh, a lot of that is driven by a timesheet-based mentality, valuing inputs instead of outputs. Part of the reason I left public accounting, I was on a, I was, I was really, I really wanted to like try and make partner at a big accounting firm. I thought I could do it. After a year, I left because I got so tired of how slow things moved. You know, people were happy with ten percent growth. That was like great. I wanted to change everything on my team, and I couldn't because I was held back by the firm. So it's this like, I don't know, just sort of like unambitious mentality too that mm-hmm. pushes people out of it. I'd say also one of the, what I see, especially in, in my role, is this focus on public accounting, traditional public accounting, universities, colleges, pushing students to go to public accounting, focusing on audit, focusing on tax. Yeah. And the reality is, again, I go back to this like notion of a profit pool. I can't imagine more than five, 10% of the profit pool being earmarked for tax and audit services. Yeah. When a company, what they really need is to ensure that the foundation of the financial building blocks, the financial information building blocks of a business there's integrity, there's continuity, and then moving over to the interpretation, the measuring, and then lastly, the business strategy. Yep. That's where businesses should be spending 95% of the, the pool of money, capital, that's available yeah. for this accounting and finance function. Yeah, and that's if so if you want to enjoy the fruits of that if you want to participate in that profit pool the traditional accounting path is not going to get you it's access not going to get you it. there i yeah. agree man and 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 yet these universities are focused still on driving people into big four firms doing tax and audit and what, nobody who wants why would you want to do that if you're an all-star it's messed up like, and it then you, you go yeah. there and you're there for a year a year and a half and yeah Accounting is a noble profession, and I love accounting theory. I love accounting. And yet, all those type of people like me who go through these programs and graduate and go into the big four, they they hate it, and they get pushed out. They, they leave uh, and go do something else because they realize 
oh, I'm not actually going to get to do all that cool stuff that I learned in my intermediate accounting class. No, nope. I'm going to get stuck doing, you know, corporate tax returns or auditing stuff that nobody's ever going to care about or see because, you know, people don't care about the audited financial statements as much as they used to. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so the fourth question here is, so Blake, we're obviously in this to help entrepreneurs, small business owners, and founders. So if you had one piece of advice, forget about the accounting industry for a second. If you had one piece of advice for a business, first, what type of business would you prefer to advise? And secondly, what's that one mistake or opportunity or challenge that you know you see business owners, founders make all the time? Well, so I advise a lot of accounting firms. So that's the one I'm going to pick. I made this same mistake in my own firm, and I see it all the time, which is take everything that comes in the door. And if you do that, you are not going to be able to focus as a service business, and you're not going to be able to productize your services, and you're not going to be able to create a system for delivering high quality. So you have to learn to say no and to not just take everything that comes in the door like most firms. Yep. And the more focused you can be, the better. So it's really exciting because I'm seeing some folks starting up new firms, new brands, and they say, I'm going to focus on design agencies and only these four types of design agencies. Hmm. And I'm going to build the perfect accounting department back office for them. And I'm going to go out and get everyone in LA. That's a great example of how focused you can be. And when you're that focused, you can very easily fix the price. You can deliver something that is perfectly tailored to the customer. You can do it at scale. Meaning the tech you can stack hire too. Yeah, the technology. You can use one single technology platform or create a tech stack that is the same for every customer. So it's once you set it up, you clone it. That is the key to success in this business. And I think that's where like the, the firms that succeed are the ones that are going to be like really focused on their target customer. Um, yeah, that's funny you because, know. you know, when you, if you're in the business or if part of your organic, I'm sorry, if part of your uh, growth strategy is acquisitive, the problem with that is it's a great way to boost up your, your growth, right? You don't have to wait for your sales team referrals, but the other, on the flip side, the issue, the issue is it's like taking a net to the bottom of the ocean floor. You got to take everything with it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we first did our, we're actually in the midst of another acquisition. And I remember five years ago, the, sometimes I referred to them as legacy customers. We would never try to bring those type of customers organically into our business anymore because lawyers, they require, they're, it's a very mm -hmm. idiosyncratic to that industry. Uh, although very probably similar to a traditional accounting dentists, breweries, et cetera. And the funny thing is the breweries, the dentists, the lawyers, all those customers, they fell off after three or four years with us after the acquisition, because it's just a different beast. It's a different tech stack, different uh, technology, different business model, a lot of different idiosyncrasies is that it's just, how do you find the, how do you find people? And that doesn't mean they're not a good fit. You could have an accounting firm that just focuses on attorneys, and I think that could be a great business. But then that's what you should focus on. It's just that. I love that advice. Stay focused. Know yeah. your customer. Know the persona. And don't stretch. And, and think of your business like a SaaS company. So the thing that made cloud amazing was this concept of multi-tenancy, having 
multiple businesses using the same computer server mm. on one software. So you didn't have to spin up a new one for every business. We can think of our firms, our service businesses like that. We're going to be multi-tenant accounting departments. So you're able to offer them the same level of service that they would get if you were in-house for them, but you're offering it for multiple companies. Think about it that way, as opposed to a transactional model where they're coming to me for bookkeeping or payroll or bill pay. Like You don't think about it that way when you're in-house, when you are no. the head of accounting or finance. You don't think about it that way. You just do whatever the business needs. Now, the only way you can do that as a service business is if you are focused. I agree. That's, that's the last I'll say on that. <laughs> I think that is great advice. Stay focused. And on that yeah. note, Blake, it's always an honor and pleasure. And, Likewise, uh, this Dan. Was, this was good. And appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Dan. So that's this week's FAS Evolution. We really do appreciate you joining us. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out at growthlabfinancial.com.